Welcome to Israel Tech. I'm excited for our very first premiere interview. I'm here with Hill Fold. Uh, Hill Fold actually, I don't know if you know this, but I think you do. First introduced me to marketing in Israeli Tech in 2009. We met here in Beit Shemesh. You mean at, first introduced? What does that mean? What were you, you doing first, before that? You first introduced, I wasn't doing digital marketing before that wow. at all. Wow. You introduced me to Twitter when it was early on in 2009. You told me to get on. Wow. I got on. I was studying at Bar-Ilan MBA and I got Bar-Ilan's business school on. I even brought him a foreign uh, a student from abroad for their international program and then giving me a thousand dollar scholarship towards my MBA and it was through that that Pretty I understood cool. and I kind of fell in love with Twitter and then when I went back to the States I started just doing a little bit organic on my own um, then I had on the side while I was working at Xerox and then a client asked me to take out ads and then I saw the dashboard of ads and then I really got into digital marketing through ads originally through so organic where's my cut uh, that's coming after this it depends how this interview goes <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's why I'm honored I wanted to have Hill on, not just because he's awesome, but before really... Mostly dashingly handsome. Well, but they see that. What they don't know is that you're awesome. Thank you. Thank so you. this dashingly handsome man is that what you've been able to do is help a lot of people such as myself before even you were nearly as well known, I don't think anyone knew who you were, is that you invited me. I was living in Nachlot in Jerusalem to come for some coffee and bake challenge. I had no idea who you are. I don't even know how we got connected. I tried to look into it. I couldn't find out. We got connected, and that was kind of it. Didn't hear, think, or talk, think about you for a few years, even. How rude! I know. I thought right? about you every day. I don't blame you, <laughs> but you know what? I channeled that, and it brought me back to Israel. And so here we are. I'm living in Israel now ten years, but um, so and I built a digital marketing agency that is leading the way for Israeli technology. And so with this new brand, Israel Tech, our goal here is to be able to find the great personalities in Israel and technology and elevate them. So I find that, one, most of the people that are getting um, some of the best brains, the most technologically brilliant people, often sometimes they're very tech, they're not necessarily great on camera, or that's not their focus, they may be more introverted, and the goal is to be able to pull out of them their brilliance, their experience, what they did, let's say, within the army, and how we can bring that out in English, extract that and show, show and share to the world. Right. So it could be better for them, for their businesses, and so they can continue to make a better impact, not just for Israel, but obviously the technology that helps the entire free world. Sounds good. Awesome. Let's, rock, let's rock and roll. All right. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I think you're a man that doesn't need an introduction. But how would you introduce yourself? And I have a feeling it's going to be harder for you than, than I might think. It is by far my, my largest professional challenge. When people say, what do you do? Uh -huh. How do I answer that? I don't know what I do. I've yet to figure it out, right? Uh, but I like to say, uh, you know, I wear four hats, right? Uh, the first hat, let's call it marketing. I used to say startups, but now I'm working with you know companies that aren't startups. So let's call it marketing slash growth uh, on the qualitative side. I'm not running ads. I've never run an ad on the internet in my life. Uh -huh. I've never promoted anything in my life ever for money, ever. Uh -huh. uh, so it's all on the organic qualitative side. So it's PR and social and content, all that jazz. Uh, so that's the first hat. Um, second hat is all the content, which is what gave birth to my career. So um, I, I write as a columnist slash contributor to basically every leading tech publication um, you know TechCrunch The Next Web Venture Beat Inc all those guys um, a bunch of video content audio content just a lot of content right uh -huh. uh, the third thing is public speaking which I do a lot of and then the fourth thing is my work with the um, Fortune 100s the multinationals so I work with Google and Microsoft Oracle as like a they all call it something else Google developer experts and uh Microsoft brand ambassadors, Oracle startup advisory board, it's all the same stuff. Right? They yeah. all need distinct names. Yeah, it's all the same stuff. Because <laughs> they don't want to sound like the others. So that's the, the four hats, basically. Um, you know, I always say, I'm a kid in a candy store. Like, uh. my career makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Like, who, who am I? Like, whatever, I'm not going to get into it. We could get into this, but I, I just feels very strange to me that I'm advising Google and I'm like some random dude who one day, 15 years ago, just started to like write 
all uh, I've ever done is just write on the internet. But uh, I'll play along until everyone realizes that I'm full of garbage. So actually, let's go into about advising technology companies in general. Um, so what do you think tech companies, what kind of advisement do you like, what kind of advice, not just you give, but in general that they need? And at different stages, of course, any different kinds of advice. Maybe you can walk us through maybe just some tips people would need to know. So therefore, they can right. maybe take that and start to implement it or know what to go to look for right. to get the information they need. To well, first of all, I call myself an advisor just because I have no better word for it. That doesn't mean I'm only sitting and giving advice, obviously. Right. right? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you'd ask me the biggest mistake, there are a lot of them, but the biggest mistake that drives me crazy is when entrepreneurs quote Field of Dreams and they say, if you build it, they will come. It's yeah. like, dude, if you build it, no one's coming. No one heard of you. What are you right. talking about? Like, you know, no, we have a great product. People will come running. That's not how the world works. Like, it, it's like the tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it to make ridiculous. any noise. Like, right. you know, I always say, I always use this as an example. I don't know. Did you ever have a Blackberry? No. Really? No. So, it, how old are you? 38 next okay. month. So, anybody that's, I'd say, over 40, whatever, had a Blackberry at some point in their lives. And I guarantee you, and feel free to like conduct this experiment. Go over to like 50 people and say, did you have a BlackBerry? They'll say, yes. You say, what did you think of your BlackBerry? And 50 out of 50 will say, I loved my BlackBerry. Right. BlackBerry was a phenomenal product, way ahead of its time. It was an unbelievable product. And yet, where are they? Right. So a good product's not enough. It's just right. not, you know? So I tell companies, like, maybe- Wait, wait, it was enough at the time, but, but it I'm was enough it never, to adapt. Right, and it didn't, it didn't survive. Because right. it wasn't, you know, right. they didn't build the brand, they didn't adapt, they didn't right. build an ecosystem. Just like the Palm Pilot. No apps, nothing, right? Just like, yeah, it's all kinds of So, you know, I tell companies all the time, like, in the olden days, uh, building a good product was enough because there was very little market saturation. It wasn't like, you know, everyone's trying to grab your attention. Today, building a brand is absolutely mandatory. You cannot build a company without a brand. And, and you see that every leading brand in the world has, has built, you know, content, all that jazz. So that's what I work with companies, first of all, kind of build their brand. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like people perceive entrepreneurship like completely inaccurately. Like, you know, we all glorify, right? TechCrunch, oh, $100 million fund, a round of financing, 100 million, you know, acquisitions. That's all we read about. So it's like, oh yeah, entrepreneurship's like fun and games, right? The reality is, as you know, there's no such thing as like a hockey stick. It's all, you know, uh, but I tell companies, like you have to understand, like you, you cannot succeed as an entrepreneur without resilience. Like if you think that you're just gonna launch a product and boom, like you're, you're kidding yourself. Like that's not how it works. So, you know, that's another thing that I, I help companies understand. Um, but th the big thing, 100%, is, is help them build the brand, right? Help them build, you know, a content kind of infrastructure, you know, social, PR. Like, again, PR, right? Like, people, when I say PR, you think of, like, some PR agency just, like, spamming their, their journalist friends. Hey, write about this, write about That's not PR. Like, that's, that's, I don't know what you want to call that. That's not PR. PR is, like, taking a story from a company and saying, okay, here's how we're going to frame it, Right? You know, and, and here's our target audience for this story. Like, who are we trying to attract? Like, oh, let's just get press. Why are you getting press on like Mashable when you're targeting investors? Right. Like, it's not relevant, you know? Right. So frame the story, find the right audience, find the right publication, find the right journalist at that publication. Are we doing an embargo? Is it a big enough story to go wide? Is it an exclusive? Are we not even pitching the press? Are we putting on PR Newswire? Like, these are all strategic questions that most people ignore. In fact, most PR agencies ignore. So yeah, that's the stuff I work with companies on. Build their brand through all of those different channels. Um, and, you know, as a result, obviously, you know, it's dollars and cents, but, you know, you know better than me. There are certain things that are beyond quantification and clicks. Like right. you get someone's heart pounding, you get someone to care about your brand, you win. Right. right? So how does, if you're, if you're a tech company, let's say that is uh, B2B, a, a typical Israeli startup, 
And so it's not a physical product, right? So it's software, cybersecurity, AI, some kind of solution. It can even be some like really great technology for we have a client that's in the account receivable space. Not sexy, right? How does one build a, how, what would you recommend to these startups? Like, how do I build a brand around this? Because as opposed to they're just trying to do marketing and ads and all right. that, of course, a bigger brand and a bigger culture around it. What would you recommend to, let's say, the non-sexy technology solution in the B2B space that will never be a household name? I fundamentally disagree with your premise. I'll Terrific. Tell you, I'll tell okay, you great. Why. My premise is reflective of the questions I get from other right. people. I'll tell you why I disagree. Because the sexiest companies out there are companies that took an industry that was not sexy and they made it sexy, right? I mean, transportation, like... Yeah, but, but that's mass market. Transportation is mass market. No, hold on a second. I'll, I'll tell you what, okay, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll I, I, what I mean. You know, yellow cabs. Like, there's nothing less sexy than that. And then Uber made it sexy, right? There's nothing less sexy than, like, hospitality, like hotels. It's like a, you know... But these are all B2C. I'm right, talking right. about... Okay, so you could take, you know, any company that's, that is addressing a, quote-unquote, unsexy or primitive or archaic industry... And when they use technology and they disrupt it, they can make it sexy. It's not, it's, it's not a question of B2C, B2B. In fact, you know, I, I often tell uh, CEOs, like, oh, you know, we're, we're selling to enterprise. Like, Twitter? Like, you know, that's, dude, every CIO, every CTO goes home at 5 o'clock and becomes a consumer. Correct. And, like, the, that differentiation between, no, we're B2C, we're B2B, so we don't need marketing. You can avoid that throughout the day. They're it's, a consumer. It's an artificial, when you go to the bathroom, you're a consumer. Sorry, it's an artificial differentiation. And... You know, yes, the semantics are different. Yes, it's, you know, different tactics. Right. But the strategy, to me, I, you know, it's clear that it's, marketing is marketing. And you, you need marketing, whether you're selling to enterprises, to governments. It's all about trust, right? right? So I'd say even more so if you're an enterprise company and you're selling a product for five million bucks, people need to trust you. Right. Whereas if I'm selling an app and I'm a consumer app, like, okay, so a dollar ninety nine, all right, whatever, you know? But uh, at the end of the day, you know, a brand, in my opinion, is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When it's um, agnostic. It's agnostic to space, agnostic to vertical. Like you need to build a brand. Period. People need to trust you. Right. Um, and so that's why I tell companies all the time. Like, yes, you know, if you're selling an enterprise, maybe TikTok's not right for you. Right. But to say like I don't need content is ridiculous. No, I, I don't think say that. So someone to say, hey, I got this dry thing. I'll just we'll go with the example I gave, account receivable software, right for for SMBs. Yeah. How, how does one? What would you maybe one or two ways a direction of do that? That's, I don't know why you think that's unsexy. To me, that's the sexiest thing in the world. Everyone's got their different, SM, you know, no, SMBs, sexual quirks, so. <laughs> SMBs, like, they need to optimize, you know, their funnel and their, um, you know, their income and their revenue as much as possible because they're a small business, right? right. And so mm-hmm. if something, if software, if technology can help optimize that, you know, and automate things instead of, like, dude, I'm an SMB and I, I pay thousands to, like, an accountant and a bookkeeper. Like, it's ridiculous. It right. is ridiculous. And there are many solutions out there, but, like, if somebody can give me a solution that really answers my needs and scratches that itch like in a real way, not like oh yeah, if you, but it really works, that's unbelievable. So if I were to if I were to maybe sum up from what I'm understanding from you, would to build a brand, you shouldn't really be focusing on your technology as much not. as just focusing on the pain point and that connection you can make with your prospects and customers. Hundred percent, and it should just be a, the conversation around that. I mean, is technology even relevant today? I don't know. You tell me. Does, does does Twitter have technology? Does right. Uber, does Uber have technology? Airbnb have technology? They all, yeah, they all Google? do. But, no, but when I say technology, I mean deep technology, right? Google has Google is, is a website with a cert, like right. they executed. They built an amazing product, but like, are they deep tech? No. You know who's deep tech? Intel. Right. Like, you don't need deep tech today, with exceptions. Obviously, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, deep tech is not relevant. Uh, it's definitely not a selling point. Nor is a is a unique idea. 
I have an idea. Who cares about an idea? My grandmother has ideas. She's dead for 20 years. Like, uh-huh. ideas are relevant. Again, what was Twitter's idea? There was no, there was no idea. It was execution, period. So mm-hmm. I don't think technology matters at all. Uh, I don't think a creative idea matters matters at all. I think it's about building a product that people love and people need. That's it. That's what it all mm-hmm. comes down to. So, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that when you're building a brand, you need to talk about your technology. No one cares. No right. one cares about your algorithm. No one cares about, like, your machine learning and computer vision. Like, no one cares. Tell me why I should care. And in order to do that, you need to talk about the problem, right? You know, and, and it goes beyond that. Like, I always give the example of Red Bull, right? Red Bull sells a drink. But the word drink or beverage does not appear on their website. Like, right. legitimately, you go to Red Bull, they're not selling you a drink. Like, have you ever seen Red Bull talking about themselves ever? Right. You, you will never see Red Bull talking about themselves. They're jumping out of planes. Right. Why? Because they're owning energy. They're not right. just owning, you know, so they're a content lifestyle extreme sports company. They're not a drink company. There's a very big difference. Right. So I'm selling something. Don't talk about what I'm doing, but talk about what you need, right? That's, you know, I guess the most foundational thing. Don't, don't focus on the, you know, um, on the what I have, but focus on the why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you care? Focus right. on you, not on me. And that's what it is. Comes down to. So we're in a war, and I was like, do we want to open with it? But I, I decided not to. I thought kind of just getting to know you and understanding marketing and tech is probably the right way to go. But we're not going to avoid the elephant in the room, absolutely. So I would like to get your opinion in general. Where do you think how kind of maybe technologically we have failures in tech? Um, I was speaking to a big AI cyber company yesterday. And they were saying one of the things that we need to do is repair, restore, and even better our reputation of our cybersecurity and our AI and that we use for our defenses. So where do you think kind of maybe where these failures were or have been? And what do you think Israeli technology can do to make sure that we can not restore our status, but by actually becoming, making sure that we can be as close as possible to have uh, such strong technology that we can properly defend ourselves? So first of all, I don't think our reputation was damaged at all. Mm-hmm. Like... I mean, people still, you know, every day people are, I mean, I, I, I did an interview with CNN. I did an interview with Forbes about this, about the, the tech ecosystem in Israel during war. I don't think that our, our, our reputation is damaged. I think just on a logistical level, like half the country's in the army now. So like people are losing their, you know, their team. That's right. the bottom line. Um, but I, I, you know, I obviously for years, for a decade, this country is going to start, you know, have to figure out what happened on October 7th. How did they manage to do that? And, you know, there's a lot of different factors, obviously. But there's definitely a technological factor here. Like the intelligence was a colossal failure. And again, we're, we're going to have to figure out why that is. But there's for sure, for sure, technological element here. That's first of all. Second of all, there's the disinformation online, right? There's just the lies and the bots and all that. And again, we're failing. I, my, I, yesterday, I my, got kicked off of LinkedIn. Yeah, off. well, LinkedIn's terrible. I got kicked off of LinkedIn yesterday. Yeah, it's insane. Oh, thank God I have connections at the highest level. So the head of security at LinkedIn like reinstated my account in two seconds. This morning, I got restricted on Facebook. Like, they're coming after us at, you know, by the, they're just reporting, the reporting, 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 right? And, and the truth is, like, I'm not, I'm not blaming these platforms. Like, they have no way to know. But, like, you know, at the end of the day, again, like, I, obviously, it's, it's important to have the right. Well, actually, so, so Twitter was talking about actually, Elon was saying that people that over report or people that were reported, uh, that gets reported a lot and turns out that they thought it was fine or averse, yeah. when people report you, it will actually water down its effect in right. the future. Makes sense. And if you report a hell of a lot of people and turns out the people that you reported, shouldn't have been that they were rejected, your report is going to lose, your reporting is going to lose its value. Right. So I think it's, it's brilliant what he's doing there in regards yeah, no, to being I, able. I, I was, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't sure when he bought Twitter. Yeah, I, I remember you were so angry I'm about it. I'm not 100% it. sure yet either, but, but it's definitely improved. That's for sure. There's no question yeah. about it. But, uh, but the bottom line is like, there are, you know, the misinformation thing, the bots thing, like 
there, there are easy ways, not easy, but there are technological ways to, to overcome this. And there are companies that are doing it. Um, there, there, there are two. Syabra, you know, Syabra? Yeah, I was about to say, Syabra yeah. and Authentix is doing yeah, yeah, the authentication. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of Israeli cybersecurity companies. And then there's the company that I posted the other day that's using their technology to detect, they, usually they detect uh, um, crypto fraud. Right. And now they're using it to seize uh, uh, Hamas funds. Which, which uh, maybe you want, to, you want to talk about these? You want to Lionsgate is the name of the company. Okay, great. And they, uh, but they, they're basically using their technology to detect wires of crypto to Hamas, and they've seized tens of millions of dollars already. Amazing. Tens of millions. Amazing. So there's a lot going on on the tech side, but I don't think we're, even, I don't think we're scratching the surface because it came as a surprise to us. We didn't know it was, obviously this was going to happen. You know, war was brought upon us. We weren't prepared. So you know, the tech ecosystem is, it is, it is so beautiful. What's happening right now? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know about Yisharshai. No, okay. sure. So Yisharshai uh, was a tech investor who became a Khaber Knesset, a parliament member, and then he went back to being a, a tech investor. Uh, first of all, the most awesome dude in the world, but he, unfortunately his son was killed in the war. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And Sorry. he announced an unbelievable thing that for every uh, casualty that we have in this war, we are going to build a startup in the next 12 months. So he has committed to building 1,400 startups. He's, he's gotten wow. together the, ba- the best founders, the best investors. He's really going to do this. Like, this isn't just like, oh, oh we're trying to... No, he's actually going to... He has, like, a real initiative. Like, he said, like, a launch meeting coming up. Like, yeah. So that's pretty... Um, but that, to me, like, personified... That, that is Israeli tech. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to have him on. Uh, it's it's un- Yeah, for sure. That, that to me, is like... that. You want to know what Israeli tech is? You want to know what Israeli resilience is? That's Israeli resilience. This guy lost his son. Instead of drowning in sorrow, and which everyone would understand, no one would judge him. Right. The guy immediately gets up. He's like, "We're gonna, you know what? They're coming in our face. We're gonna show them our light. We're gonna innovate. We're exactly gonna, right. you know." And that's that's you know, I always talk about this, but like, I don't want to get too biblical on you, but in, in ancient Egypt, right, when the Jews were in ancient Egypt for two hundred and ten years, we were enslaved. Which I just want to side point. Like, we look at our situation today, and we're like, "There's no way this ends well." Like, we're, and and that's true. We, the loss is the loss. We're never gonna forget, you know, who we lost, but. You know, it's important to take a step back and realize that, like, every single one of our holidays, like, every like, Purim. Right. You know what Purim was? Purim was genocide of the Jewish people. Yeah, yeah, Like, at the time, we were like, this is the worst disaster in the history of the Jewish people. And here we are, you know, celebrating, right? So, I, I have no doubt that one day we will look back at this and we will celebrate. But, uh, in, the, in ancient Egypt, the Torah says something super weird. Super weird. It says, and I'm just going to translate to English, the more the Egyptians persecuted the Jews, the more they... Uh, multiplied and flourished. Exactly, yeah. Like, what? You would think the more persecution, they do the opposite of flourish. Right. But that's Jewish nature. But that, that, that's consistency with other things, uh, to keep it Jewishly spiritual for a bit, is that whoever curses us will be cursed, right. and a curse to them is Jewish growth, and whoever blesses us will be blessed. So that's and so did, it, you hear, did you hear what I quoted Rabbi, Rabbi Goldberg about that? You didn't hear? No. It's an unbelievable thing. Again, I'm getting all... But for people that don't know how much content you put out, just I, not be able to... I, I got to say something really, really beautiful. But again, it's... it's you're, forgive me, I, I won't... We won't talk about the Bible after this, but this is such an important but thing. But I think it would be cool to just do a whole spiritual segment of it around war sometime, but it would be... So I think Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg is the rabbi Boca Raton. It's like one of the most... He has a podcast called Behind the Bima. Like, super duper popular. And, and rightfully so. He's incredible. Uh, so he spoke here in my neighborhood a couple of... Like last week or two weeks ago. He said something unbelievable. Like really unbelievable. And it's what you just said. It's the, the, the verse in the Torah of in, in the portion of Lech Lecha, which was two weeks ago. God says to Abraham, you know, leave your home, go to Israel, basically. Uh, and he says, there's a, there's a pasuk, there's a verse that says, those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. But there's a lack of parallel in the verse. Okay, and I'm just going to speak in Hebrew for one second, then I'll translate. It says, va'avarcha, whoever blesses you, mevarechacha, will be blessed. Umekalelcha, whoever curses you, you would expect it to say, akalel. Right. But it doesn't. It says, aor. 
just changes the, the terminology. And it's weird. It's like, it, it begs the question. Like, why didn't it just say, Why does it say, or? So what word does or have in it? Obviously, or. Or means light. So this rabbi, Rabbi Goldberg, said the most beautiful thing. He said, let me tell you how to read that verse. You get, you're on our team. You stand by us in our darkest hour. You will be blessed. You get in our face, you'll see our light. Uh, you you stand against us. You'll bring right. your darkness. We'll bring our light. We'll bring our unity. We'll bring our charity. We'll bring. Right. You'll see the light of the Jewish right. people. And, and that. So l- last night I was interviewing uh, Natan Levy, the Israeli UFC fighter, and we were talking about the, the the growth of anti-Semitism and everything, and how it used to be the exact opposite just a few years ago. And especially in the UFC, there's a lot of genocidal calls within UFC fighters. It's, it's insane, and they don't do anything about it. But he said what they hate is that, and he's also talk about white nationalists, whatever, white racist too that they hate seeing a strong Jew. Yeah. And that light, that they will see our light, is our strength. They curse us, we'll get stronger, yeah. and that will be their punishment. Right. I mean, and, they'll, and they'll have to deal with our strength. I, I ask myself on a daily basis, like, why? Why do they hate us? Like, it doesn't make any sense. The Jews have done nothing bad in this. We're only good. Right. Why do they hate us? It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we know in Judaism that there's an actual, like, I don't know, rule. Right. Like, they... They're, like in in our scripture, like we know, Esav son Eliakov, like the the, the non Jews hate the Jews. That's just the way it is. Like right. there's no logic, there's no reason, there's no. It's just the way it is. It's it's crazy, but like in every generation, anti Semitism takes on a new face, and in our generation, it's anti Zionism. Oh, right. it's just anti Zionism. Like, and again, I don't know if you want to go into this, but like that that sentence, no, go, go, go anti Zionism is not anti Semitism, dude. Yeah, I know it's dude. It's like, are you like are you freaking kidding me right now? Like Zionism. Is the they, most core belief to Judaism. There's nothing more core. Well, we, the Zion Jerusalem is mentioned we, in the Torah a million times. We pray to Zion a thousand times we a day. Face Jerusalem, face Jerusalem for thousands like, of yeah. years. Oh, I don't. I'm not. I don't hate Jews. I just don't think they deserve a home. Are you and, freaking And especially kidding? Jerusalem, right? It's like it's so especially ridiculous. Israel. It's the same thing. Like, they're just parroting. They're already these individuals are anti-Semites by default, and then they just parrot what they hear. Right. They just, they, it's they, it's they, a new experience. Right. So let, let, to bring back to tech, so. Um, um, Large language models, like OpenAI or Grok now, whatever. It, it was fascinating because I was thinking about the intelligence of the human being, right? How intelligent are we? Think we have, we create our own thoughts and all that. And I was thinking if we're able to call this intelligence, all it is is saying it's just picking up a lot of, um, of repetition and that it's seen in language and it's spitting it back to us and it comes off as intelligent. And we each think, like these idiots that say anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, is that they're just, there is no intelligence there. They just hear, they read, and then they just spit it back out. It's just like the language models. And so I was thinking there's some kind of parallel here where what we perceive as intelligence, like human like brain, like critical thinking intelligence, it's not. It's just parroting right. of what's already been inputted into you, whether it's a language model or they're doing it because they're watching the BBC or right, CNN but, or other but, anti-Semitic. But the, but the analogy, while I understand it, 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 it fails at one place, and that is that human beings do have intelligence. You know, they, real intelligence. They, they have the potential. Yes. Right. Right. So, I mean, I, I wrote this post yesterday. We were just talking about it. Like, uh, you know, I, 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 I dissected and debunked every single one of the lies. Like, these, like, again, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but, like, let's look at the most foundational principles of this war. Like, people around the world, like, the most foundational, what are they saying? Like, genocide. Genocide? Really? Uh-huh. But they don't know what that word means. It's no, but dude, again, there's subjective opinion and then there's fact. The Palestinian population has grown by hundreds of percentages. Hundreds. Like, genocide? We were freaking in Gaza yesterday with our tanks protecting the Gazans from Hamas. 
genocide. So like, you could say whatever you want, but like, if you're if you're a human being with a brain, you would actually look at the facts. Like, occupation, dude. We dug up our dead. You know I know. I know. I, we destroyed synagogues. We left Gaza. There was not one. We ethnically cleansed Gaza from yep. Jews. Occupation. Like, so you could say that, but if you're an intelligent human being, you would open a book. And you would look at the facts. You'd be like, there was not one Jew in Gaza. What yeah, are we but no one's interested. But these people are okay, already so, the biggest. They're not looking for th- facts. So that, they're so looking to use language to to intentionally, so other people regurgitate so these exactly language. That's exactly the point. My point is, it's not like the language models because here, it's not like you know. Oh, I just don't know. They don't. It's not that they don't know the knowledge. They have they have access to the knowledge. What they're doing is they're taking their preconceived notions or their pre hatred of Jews and just oh look here's a here's a comfortable excuse. Let's call it genocide. What? Because it serves their cause. That's all. Okay. So it's so it's not that they don't know the facts. They don't want to know the facts. Yeah. Well, I also learned from bigots is that what they accuse you of and radicals in general, they're usually they do themselves. They they it's a lot of projection. So you know, at the end of the day, just you know, it's a it's it's a it's a scary time for Jews outside of Israel. And and don't don't get me wrong. Like we, I understand the risks in Israel. Obviously, October seventh was the worst tragedy since the Holocaust for the Jews. But um, you know, at the end of the day. In Israel, we are in the hands of our government, and how we retaliate, how we respond is up to us. Whereas in the States, a guy got beat to death yesterday, two days ago in L.A. for, you know, in a protest, pro-Israel protest. An, an old Jew. And has anybody been talking about it? No, Nobody not the cares. media just doesn't cover it. They won't even persecute Nobody the, the, cares. The police won't persecute. Really? They won't persecute. You think they're, per- they're not getting persecuted? How could that be? Because... The, Wait, he on. murdered a guy. Yes, so... He's not being persecuted. Not how could you when it's not when they don't call it murder? What does that mean? It's manslaughter. Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is... My, my point is, in Israel, we, we are in control of our own fate. Whereas Jews around the world, I'm pretty nervous about it. Like, also, right. Goldberg said the same thing. He came here, he spoke, he said, guys, I'm here to support you, but you guys are going to be okay. Us? I don't, I, don't, I don't know how Jews around the world are going to get out of this. Like, Ivy League colleges, you know, I don't know how they're, I don't see a scenario in which it will be okay. I don't, I don't right. know when, when houses are being, you know, marked with, 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 uh, with stars, you know, uh, Star, uh, Star David, and, and like, you know, people are being beaten in the streets and, and, and posters being pulled. Like, how do they get out of this? I don't know. And it's, it's very scary. Right. Really very scary. Right. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we in Israel will be okay. We will win this. There's, I don't, please God, obviously it's in God's hands, but I don't think anyone debates or, or has any doubts that we're going to, you know, we're going to win this and we're going to eliminate Hamas from this planet. Um, the question, the big question is, you know, the amount of pain and suffering we're going to have to endure until we get there. You know, and I hope it's minimal, but uh, we lost 35 soldiers already since we went in. Yeah. So, you know, for them, you know, we've killed, I don't know, 15,000 terrorists, right? For yeah. them, 35 people, it's nothing. And the world likes to make that, oh, you only 35 people. In right, ba- right. Which is the most morally bankrupt claim in the world. You need more dead Jews for you to justify the war. Like, 600,000 people died in World War II, innocent the, civilians. Right. Well, and, I mean, Britain bombed yeah, civilians in Germany. So, then far more Germans were killed than yeah, the, the civilians than any that's, other country. That's, that, to me, if you'd say to me, sum up this war in one word, that word is hypocrisy. Right. Like, the, the, the level but of th- That's going to be every war that Jews are involved in. The level of hypocrisy? Ev- everything. Like, everything. I, I, like, I look at, I read these things, like Paul Graham, you know, the guy who founded Y Combinator. I mean, he's, uh, I don't think anybody debates the fact that he's a full-blown anti-Semite, like blatant anti-Semite, uh-huh. not like, like, whatever. I was, I'm not going to name names, but I was talking to a big investor the other day, and I mentioned Paul Graham. He's like, oh, he's... He's an anti-Semite. Like, there's no disgusting. But the, but the things that he tweets, like, you read his tweet. He blocked me, by the way. He blocked all Jews. I don't know if you go check him out. But the things that he tweets are insane. Mm-hmm. Are, like, just uh, two days ago, again, Israel's warning Gazans to leave the, you know, the south and go to northern Gaza. Sorry, the north and go to southern Gaza so that they can, so that we can uproot, you know, the, the Hamas infrastructure, right? And so 
when they start to leave, what does Hamas do? They, they execute them because they don't want them leaving, right? So Israel pulls up with a tank, defends the Gazans against Hamas, risks our own soldiers so that they can leave safely. What does freaking these anti-Semites say? Look at how they're forcing people to evacuate their homes under gunfire. Oh my God, like the hypocrisy, the lies are at a level that I've never seen before. It's not even like, it's not even like subjective, oh, that's your opinion. It's just blatant, just blatant, objective, historical fabrications. Like, dude, I mean, it goes, again, we could talk about this for hours, but like, just, you have a brain in your head? If you have a brain in your head, lo- logic should be part of the way you think. And like, but, a, but, but it, okay, do you think... Let me just, let me just tell you one thing. Yeah. If A causes B, okay? If A causes B, then logic dictates that if you remove A, B won't happen, right? I mean, yes. that's just yeah, basic yeah, yeah. logic. If A cause causes effect, B... There's no cause exactly. No effect. So if A causes B and you remove A, then B should not have happened. Right. If occupation causes Palestinian terror, remove the occupation, there should be no terror. But forget remove. How about we go back to where there was no quote-unquote occupation? How about we go back before the establishment of the state of Israel? 1929. There's no establishment. There's no right. Israel. There's no occupation. Arabs massacred Jews in Hebron. Hebron yeah. Why? So, so don't tell right. me it's but, the occupation. So this is basic logic that any person with a brain understands. But Yeah, but the problem is I think you're, you're focusing on the brain and not the heart and the intentions. Yeah, yeah. Is that their logic is... I despise Jews. Right. My life mission is to destroy Jews. Right. What can I say? This is the effect. What can I cause to help bring my goal of the effect? I got to tell you. There's, and so therefore, the only logic that they have is the destruction of Jews. You said for some reason, you know, spiritually in the Torah, nothing's ever changed thousands of years. Is that is that non-Jews hate Jews. will hate Jews. Yeah. And of course, the many great... The many great are, and there are many exceptions, of course. Right. But we're talking, right? We're, we see this historically repeating itself. But their goal is to destroy Jews. Yeah. So what is he going to do? He's going to say, "How? What can I do to help destroy and the how? Can, the mean justifies the eggs, right. uh, the, the ends." Yeah. I was confusing um, that into making omelet. Got to bring a few eggs, which is like. Uh, let me tell you something. <laughs> Bringing it back to marketing, I, I'm just going to share a con- like a uh, dilemma that I have, and I, I have this dilemma every single day. What should be our narrative? Because right, we're a victim, you hate us is not uh, a narrative. Oh no, it's the opposite. No, I know. So, so hold on. There's a couple of options, right? We're a victim is not a good narrative. The the West is next. You should be terrified. Not a great narrative. Like fear, it's fear it's true, but it's right. right. Both of those are true, but right. but does it, you know. And, and then I ask the fundamental. Maybe no matter what our narrative was going to be, it won't help anyway. So why even bother? You know. And then I tell myself, no, there are people on the fence, whatever. But like, I think that you know. And I don't, and there is a lot. There is a lot going on behind the scenes in terms of you know uh, Israel advocacy. There are groups. There are whatever, and I'm part of many of them. But you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that there is a fundamental agreement about what our narrative should be. Whereas our enemies, they have their narrative down pat. Right. They, look what they're doing. They're oppressing us. They're genocide. They, what is our narrative? And so, you know, from a marketing perspective, this is something that I think, you know, when this war is over, I really, and I'm going to be part of it, but I'm, we're going to get together. You'll be part of it too. Some of the brightest minds in Israel. And we're going to sit and we're going to be like, okay, when, not if, because it's always, when it happens next, what is our narrative? What the, is the, the story we're telling the, the world? The narrative is, is, in my opinion, it, indigenous justice. And I think those are the, those are two. I think we, we lose our justice when we when we trade uh, terrorists or anyone for for even hostages. We lose our justice when right, we say then, we want peace, so we're going to leave our own land for thousands of years. Okay, but we lose our justice. You're forgetting one thing, dude, and this is so fundamental, and that yeah. is that again, the Jewish nation. Right? We have many characteristics, but we are described in Jewish scripture as a compassionate nation. We are a compassionate nation, and so you know, compassion is a very good thing. But when you use compassion to the you know. Excess, use it excessively, 
or you use it where it doesn't apply, that's when destruction happens, right? And again, I, I never said the word compassion. No, no, I understand, but like, you know, <laughs> let's give them land. Oh, we have to do everything to bring our prisoners oh, back. Right. That's compassion. Oh no, it's terrible. Yeah. I, I disagree. And also sometimes it's too much compassion on our on ourselves that we feel so wounded we want to lick our wounds. Right. Instead of doing what's right. right. Our strategy is always immediately what makes us feel better. There's no long-term so, strategy. Uh, the, the lack of long-term strategy in Israel, uh, we haven't seen it for decades. We're not strategic thinkers. Well, well we are in every way, but national. Not really. <laughs> are we strategic in, in tech? Uh, I no, think, in, no, think actually, so. that, that's a good point. Here's an opportunity. That's, right. why you're, yeah. that's why we do what we do. Right. Because we bring strategy. They, right. You know? Right. Um, but, I, you know, at the end of the day, we... Sorry, I'm, I got to bring in the Torah one more time. Why are you sorry? I don't know. See that, but that's part of the problem. Yeah, maybe. Is, is you know, that what I'm we saying? Is that, what, do you, what do you mean? This is you're talking about. We're, we're indigenous. We were always here. There's always a Jewish presence here. Right. It's not a coincidence that we're here. It's not a coincidence that we win these insane wars that would just miracles. So I got miracles. Tell you. So I mean, and then to say I'm sorry, I got to bring in, in the Torah, the Torah or yeah. spiritual or history. Where's our talk. Jewish pride? It's all the same, but it's history too. Right. Jewish right. history so, and lessons learned. So if we're not, then where's the strategy if we're not willing to look back to learn? Right. And so I think that's part of the problem is that we have this thing is that, oh, I'm embarrassed to talk about Jewish history. I'm embarrassed to talk about Jewish spirituality. I'm embarrassed to talk about that we that we are, we're one, uh, we're one nervous system. Yeah. Like, wh why? I'll tell you why. Because, why, why, because, why, are we so, why are we and even you feel like, oh, I'm sorry to bring that? Because Western civilization, specifically wokeism, uh, emphasizes the future and leaves the past out. We don't want the past. I mean, again, I obviously agree with you, but, but, but I just want to say that, like, and you, you know how I, every Friday I sign off for Shabbat and I post a, yeah, like a Torah yeah. piece, whatever? And I always try to give, like, a, a lesson that's not only relevant to, like, observant Jews, because my course, audience is so. not observant. So, you know, it's usually a, just a generic message of leadership or whatever. And I got to tell you, like, I'm not, a, I'm not like a, a voodoo kind of Jew. But like, you don't realize this. Nobody realizes. I don't really talk about it. But every single Friday, that thing that I write just lands in my head. Like right. I don't know where it comes from. It's un it's right. like, it's unbelievable. Every single four years I've been doing this. Right. Just every Friday, boom, I get this idea. Right. So this past week, again, it just popped into my head. But like, we're, you know, we're we're in we're in Genesis, the book of Genesis, and Abraham is given many many tests by God. Many tests. Right. Leave your home. You know, sacrifice your son. All of it. Right. Stone. There's a, he has all kinds of different tests. And, you know, the obvious question that everyone asks is, like, how could God tell him to kill his son? Uh -huh. Like, how could God do that to him? He promised him that Isaac is going to be the future of the Jewish people, and now he's going to tell him to sacrifice it? It's nuts. And how does he tell him to leave his home and leave his family? Like, what, what is the underlying, what is going on here? What is really going on here? And in this week's portion, or last week's portion, there's the whole story of Sodom, which is God says this, there's this, there's this city that's just full of corruption and evil, and, we're, and I'm going to destroy it. And, and Abraham argues with God and says, you know, maybe there's some righteous people there. You really shouldn't destroy it. And he argues and God listens. But at the end, there aren't righteous people there and he destroys the city. But two people survive, Lot and Lot's wife. And they put, they, they're walking out of the city. Lot's wife turns around. They, they were told, don't turn around. Turn, don't, don't turn around. She turns around and she becomes a, a, a statue of salt. Right. So like, you got to ask, what is going on here? Like, this is just weird. Like, what is the story? What is the underlying story? And again, I just made this up. I didn't see this anywhere, but I, to me, it makes complete sense, which is, God looks at Abraham and says, all right, what is Abraham's most fundamental um, characteristic? Abraham was a man of charity, of, of welcoming guests into his home, of, of being kind, right? Being gentle. God says, I'm going to test you. I'm going to take your most fundamental characteristic and I'm going to see if you know how to put that aside when it, does, when it shouldn't be applied. Go leave your home. And Abraham's like, what, what, my family, go leave your home. I'm God and I'm telling you to leave your home. Put aside your compassion for now. Go sacrifice your son. Right, that, that's He's what, saying to him, Abraham, listen, right. I get it. You're a compassionate guy. 
but I'm God and I'm telling you to do something and I want to see if you believe in me or not. Put aside your compassion. And then in, this, in the story of Sodom, Abraham's like, listen, I'm a compassionate guy. Don't destroy a city. God's like, you know, he listens and at the end he does it. And then here's the, here's the kicker, right? Why does she turn into a statue of salt? Like, what, what's that about? Made it up. I don't know if this is true or not, but it makes sense to me. She's walking out and she feels that compassion. She turns out, she goes, oh my God, these poor, there are innocents there. How could you, right? Humanitarian crisis in Sodom, right? How could you do that? And she turns around in compassion. And God makes her, makes her salt. Why? What's salt? Think of the characteristics of salt. Right. Salt can make something beautiful. Compassion is beautiful. But if you use it in the too wrong much. place, yeah, wrong. You, you put salt in your cup of Coke, yeah, that's yeah. nasty. Right. Or you put too much salt in, you use compassion too much, right. it, it's destructive. Right. So, you know, this, the, the, all the stories are, you're a compassionate guy, I'm God, I'm going to put you to the test and see if you could put your compassion aside and apply it when it applies and not apply it when it shouldn't be applied. But the problem is we're a compassionate people and we don't know how to differentiate between when it should okay. be used and not. So I think based on what you just said, not specifically, but in general, your thought process and your logic is that we need to not be compassionate, but be, we're wise people. I think that's... No, we should be compassionate, I th I, I think, not no, always, I'm just saying, I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying the focus should be more on wisdom. I think there's a lack of wisdom. It's, hey, what's going to work? It's more tactic. It's not long-term strategy. It's not looking back historically. I think there's a lack of wisdom in, um, in Judaism, in our leadership, in, in Jewish leadership, in, in the government. I don't leadership. know that I agree with that. I don't know. I don't, okay, know. I don't see wisdom and compassion as mutually exclusive. I know. I never, I never said that. I'm by no means doing that. I mean, actually, I think often they're correlated. I just think that if our focus was more on wisdom, not I'm not saying less on compassion, but a greater focus on wisdom. I mean, because I think that's what we're always thinking. I think that we respond to things without without wisdom, you know. And I right. think we even fear wisdom because sometimes make, doing the wise thing means doing the hard thing. It feels good to be compassionate, right. but to do the wise thing, right. we, we're not willing to do because right. it's something, it doesn't feel right, right. So but it you, is uh, the right thing. If you'd ask me, and I don't know, I'm just to be Obviously full no disclaimer, does, yeah. I don't know the answer to this well, question. Our, our goal here is to maybe unpack something, get inside of brains, right. and maybe people can take something with it and right. add to their level and build on our ideas that some are good, some are flawed. Right. Some are terrible. Right. Some are so, brilliant. Right? I don't so, know. I don't think anyone knows how October seventh happened. We don't know. We're going to know one day. We don't know. And 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 again, disclaimer. I'm not pointing fingers. Like there's only one person to blame here, and that's Hamas. Like there's no. Oh, it happened because of this. It happened because of that. And that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if you'd ask me, based on the zero knowledge that I have, just philosophically, how did how did it happen? It happened because in the last round of, of violence with the Islamic Jihad, Hamas sat it out, and Hamas has been relatively quiet. And we, as a compassionate people, were like, oh, Hamas, they're our buddies now. Eh, let's just leave them alone. Like, right. And they're accumulating sophisticated weapons from Iran, and we're just sitting there. Like, dude. Right, so but where's the wisdom? Right. Okay. That's what so I'm saying. Like, these, these, these um, you know. Compassion these, will blind you. Right. These soldiers who were looking into Gaza, they, they saw activity on the border. They're like, eh. They, apparently, I don't know if this is true. Apparently, they reported it. And, like, the, the, the you know, the, the, the government or the political side was like, ah, they're just, you know, they're having picnics. Like, dude, they're, they're, they're doing something on the border there. I'm like, well, we're compassionate people. It's like, they'll be fine. Here, you know, and again, it goes even more, it goes even deeper than that. And this is to me, if you'd ask me the, the real, the deepest, the real most fundamental problem with the way the West views radical Islam is a very simple thing. We in the West have certain core values, certain core things that we know to be true because we live in the West. For example, if I treat you with dignity, 
You're going to treat me with dignity. Right. Just like basic, obviously, that's just right. how humans behave. But that's right? not Rabbi how radical Rabbi. Islam behaves. Correct. You can treat them as well as you want. They want you dead because you're an infidel. It doesn't work. It's like, oh, let's give them land. They're like, we don't want land. We want dead Jews. They're like, no, they don't mean it. They don't mean it. I know, like, right. Listen but that's between compassion and wisdom. It's the same thing. Right. But, it's, but the same thing, I mean, Germany, scarred by what they have done, Nazi Germany, imports in mass radical anti-Semites. You don't need this. There's pure research of this. Right. By the way, the pure research of from 12 years ago, what are the opinion of Jews of Gaza residents and residents, uh, Arabs and Judeans in America, 97% quote, according to Pew, have an unfavorable opinion of Jews. Unquote. Okay? Oh, my God. All right? And then 0% had a favorable in Gaza and 1% did in of the Arabs in Judea and Samaria. So wisdom, compassion would say, oh, they're like me. Oh, that. Oh, let's bring them. Let's bring in these people in mass. They just want a better life. There's that. Because they think if they were to migrate willingly, it would be economically for a better life. Or maybe they, yeah. they found someone they love on the other side of the world. So they want to go join them or maybe a job opportunity, whatever. But these people are anti-Semitic in mass and will destroy their country like anti-Semites did when it was grown within Germany. Right. Right? So I just, I, like, there's no wisdom. It's all compassion. I mean... Or, I, unless that was their intention. I've never had... Unless that was like, oh, maybe it was a plot. Because know. you can't... Ev- how do you ignore such insane... That's what I was going to say. Just now. I've never... But we are doing it. You're just talking about on the border. We ignore it. We ignore the peer research. We ignore the fact that we see that every little kid lies in the grave as a kid, stays up, looks up at the sky, and tells the guy, I want to be a martyr and kill Jews. This is what all the children of Gaza do, without exception. Be careful what you say. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. But um, I, I don't know about you, but I've never had more moral clarity than I have right now. Like, I, I can't... Usually, generally speaking, in all conflicts around the world, there's generally somewhat of a two-sided equation. Somewhat. The, the other side has some legitimacy. Like, there's some. And after October 7th, when that happened, I, you know me, I'm a cup half full kind of guy, and I'm like, okay, at least, at least, at least, the world's going to stand by Israel now. Like, there's no way in the world that a human being with a, with a brain and a heart will side with Hamas. That's not an option. Like, I don't see a scenario in which that happens. And here we are with the world siding. It's insane. So for me, it's like more, I have clear, crystal clear moral clarity. It's like, there's good and there's evil. And if you don't see this, then you are evil. Like, if you side with Hamas, let's just say it as it is, in any way, shape, or form, if you do not side with Israel in this war, you are supporting murder and rape. It's not even an oversimplified statement. If you are siding with Hamas, you are siding with a terrorist organization that does what they did. In fact, the big question, and this is something that someone tweeted, I don't remember who tweeted it, but it's it's brilliant in its simplicity. If Hitler was alive today, which side would he side with? Oh, right. Yeah. That's it. Period. Right. If you are siding with Hamas, just know you are right. siding with the side that Hitler would have sided right. with. But, but it, and even many of them, because you know, they say like, who are the, you know, if I lived during that time, I would be one of these very, very, very few righteous people. Yeah, right. And right. And come on, the overwhelming majority of them, especially when you put your own life in danger. Yeah. Now it's so easy to just say something that's black and white just to make a comment. Yeah. And people won't even do that. I'll tell you why, though. Because, because again, these people would, are, would gladly, they would push the Nazi agenda. But, uh, but again, I'm going to go even deeper. I think foundationally, the virtue of truth, a.k.a. facts, is no longer a virtue in the Western world. Like it doesn't, you know. Sorry to get politically incorrect here, but like, so what would you trying to apologize to people? No, like you, politically correct. If you're telling me, like, if you're telling me that you are a woman, you are ignoring facts. Like right. you are not a woman. You are a man. No, no, no. If identify as a woman, dude. Stop with your BS. Like there are there's science, right? Like if you're gonna come to me and say to me the sky that's blue is actually brown, 
You're a moron. You're not, oh, we're different. It's not moral relativism. You're right and I'm right. No, right. I'm right and you're wrong. And that's right. it. There are facts. There's science. But in the Western world, there's no facts. Yes, but, Ben so Shapiro compassion. says. Facts are coming up. Right. But so, again, but that, that's more compassion than wisdom. Because if I were to believe something, if I were to buy into something that was a lie, like that, that's not true. Let's say forget what's going on in that person's head. The person's a man believes or a woman or vice versa. Whatever. That's in their mind. Forget it. But if I were to buy into that. What do you mean it's in their mind? They're making us call them by their pronouns. What are you oh, that, about? Oh, the, oh the, those. Yeah, 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 yeah. People that force you. Yeah, yeah, obviously. That's, and, and the world. That, that, that's a control thing. Western society but, accepts this. Do you okay, understand? But, like, but it's, it's fascinating. It's, I think it's come back to compassion over wisdom. Is that people want to feel good about themselves so they come off as compassionate as opposed to doing the right and hard thing. The wisdom is saying, no. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I don't know that wisdom I would call it. I don't think wisdom. Whatever. Anyway, but we you, agree. You, you we agree. Yeah, 100%. I would say truth. Right. It's truth versus compassion, not wisdom. Right, but, like, you, but you need to go backwards and think about it. You have to look at the wisdom. truth. And yeah. so at the end of the day, again, the lack of the virtue of truth or facts is because it's not a, a virtue in the Western world, that manifests in a million different right. ways. One of them being war. One of them being a war with being a savage, barbaric terrorist organization and a, a immoral army that does objectively, factually, there's no debating this more than any other army in the world to minimize civilian death. And they do everything to maximize civilian death. These are objective facts. There is no denying them. You can deny them, but just know that you're ignoring facts. And that's fine. Because in Western society, facts are not a virtue. It's crazy. The whole world is backwards, you know? And like, I, th I think about this all the time. Like, you know, after 120 years, I go up to God and like, we're all going to go, you know, and, and God's going to be like, do you see how backwards your world was? Like, how did you not call it out? So I call it out all day long, but like millions and millions of people around the world, they just accept it. Like, dude, that's what you're saying is factually, scientifically inaccurate. It's a lie. No, no, no. I identify as a dog. Dude, stop it. But like the world just doesn't care. It's just, who cares about facts? It's crazy. It's a crazy world we live in. It's backwards. It's do, terrifying. Do, do, do people know that they're not being factual? They, they don't. Even, the facts aren't even in the part of the equation. When right? someone, you know, for 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 the ninety percent to go along to get along that buy into this bullshit. What, what every I mean, whether it's literally the Jewish survival or or people are identifying as dogs or whatever. Or the wrong dude, if you want to believe something, you could find any justification you want. But but we're talking about masses. We're not talking about individuals. Yeah, I'm saying masses, masses. Western civilization believe what they believe. No, I'm just saying facts never enter the, the, the equation. Yeah, right? so you could show again that post I did was facts. Many people wrote in the comments, which I, by the way, disagree with. But many people wrote like, you know, you're you're speaking to like you're speaking in an echo chamber. Like no one's listening. Like anti-Semites don't care about facts, which is true. But if I can get a little heavy on you, like my brother, my late brother Ari, who was murdered in a terrorist attack, he taught me many things and he left many legacies in the world. But one of them was definitely, you know, don't ignore someone who's speaking falsehoods. Because they're not listening, because there are millions of people watching this dialogue. That's exactly right. That's right? what I learned. So, so when you have conversation, like let's say even if you're publicly speaking or one on one yard or whatever, being interviewed on TV or now here, it's that I'm not the audience. You're not the audience. This is a conversation right. for people watching. Right. And to understand that it's actually, especially with technology, with the camera, right. it will be broadcasted to many people. And if you can move a little bit, half of 1% of people, right. Present, right. that's huge. You know how many people have written me over the war? Like things like, I had no idea. Really? Is that true? I didn't know that. Oh my! Right. I'm like, seeing that now. I'm, I'm seeing that on podcasts. Like hundreds you, of people can't, can't believe like they're seeing what what kindergarten is doing Gaza. They we just go, don't know. They just march and about killing Jews. So, so I so I like graduation. to split it up into like three people, but three groups of people basically, right? It's the people that literally just don't know. It's not that they they just don't know the facts. They believe what they see in Sky News. They don't know the facts. These people, if you educate them, they some of them are open minded enough to realize that they don't know, right? And there's a second group 
that is you can show them facts till you're blue in the face. They 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 are they have this pre- preconceived notion. They believe what they believe. They're not going to listen to you no matter right. what. And there's the third group, which are full blown anti semites, who just right. like you again, like you, you know, they'll believe conspiracy theories that Israel did October seventh or that Israel did nine eleven. It doesn't right. even matter. Right. If there's any basis in truth. They hate us, and they're going to look for excuses. And if it's not this excuse, it'll be that excuse. Right, exactly. Those people are hopeless. Like I'm not even, you know. But the first two potentially would be worth our time and effort. Yeah, but but many of their followers aren't. Right. I mean, listen. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying. I know many of these people. Did you see that, my tweet the other day where I asked people to tell me if they support Israel? Did you see that? Oh, the robot. If you're a robot, the, the, no, no, no. If, like, no, no. To tweeted, prove you're human. I tweeted no. and I said, you know. Jews around the world feel very alone. Mm-hmm. Like, we feel like everyone's against us. And I would really love to know if that's the case. And if you unequivocally stand with Israel, unequivocally, there's no quite you are with Israel in this war, just reply to this tweet with either me or a flag, Israeli flag. Just, that's all. Just write me or flag. I mean, I could check right now, but it's tens of thousands of replies. Right. I did the same thing on LinkedIn, dude. It's just like, you keep scrolling. Right. Like, thousands. And now, obviously, that's anecdotal. That's not millions. Right. But, but I don't, no, in fact, I would say I do know that what we see on social media is not reflective of reality. I don't think there's even close to a majority of the Western world that sides with Hamas. It's not even close. I think by far, I mean, I don't know how to quantify it, but I think by far the majority of the people, even the governments, side with Israel. By far. But then there's the people that are the most vocal, right? They're, they're yeah, the ones. But, but politics is downstream from culture. And the problem is people that control the culture of the news, of the universities. Of news the media, is the big problem. Of the media, of all of this, as social media. Media is the biggest can, problem. The, the social media blocks people out just for putting out pro-Jewish content. But Hamas is Bro, and Nazis are allowed to run rampant It's built on that way. Media. You have to understand. It's, it's, but what, it's, what I'm saying is that it's politics where you're worried and the masses. It's down from the people that hold the bottlenecks of culture. Right. And that bottlenecks of culture are by really evil people. Well, right? wait, so that's where I'll push back. I'll push back because, yes, there are some evil people. There's no question about that. But I think there's there's a problem um, that exists in media in all its forms. And that is that it is built, like fundamentally built, to encourage lies. Whether it's the algorithm, whether whatever it is. But like, if I'm a reporter in CNN, I know that I will get a raise at work if I get zillion, you know, a zillion clicks on my article. How do I get a zillion clicks on my article? I, if I write Jewish man beat beat to death, you know, and I think that's not interesting. It's not. No, no one cares. No one cares. No. But if I write, you know, Israeli man murders Palestinian in cold blood, I'm getting a zillion clicks. Right. Th- th- is it true? No. Who cares? Who cares? So media is built for clicks. Clicks, you know, lies facilitate clicks. Social media, same thing. The algorithm. It facilitates, it encourages lies because it shows me my echo chamber and it shows the Palestinians their echo chamber. And so it, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle. It never ends. And so to me, you know, addressing the lies or misinformation on social media, addressing the horrible titles on CNN, we're, that's putting a Band-Aid. You have to, the, the, the sickness, the disease is that something has to change in the entire structure or infrastructure of how media works. And, you know, it reminds me in a way of Lemonade, right? Lemonade, the insurance sure. company, right? Why is it so brilliant? It's brilliant for a lot of reasons, but why is it so brilliant? Because insurance companies have a built-in paradox. By definition, you're paying an insurance company every month. If you get into a crash tomorrow or you lose something tomorrow, they have to pay you out of their wallet. So right. they have an incentive not to pay you. Right. They're going to do everything they can not to pay you. Right. So, and I can't tell you how because I'm not. I don't know. I know very little about insurance, but somehow Lemonade was able to crack that conflict. Was able to crack that paradox, and they made it, you know, in a way that insurance companies don't have incentive to not pay you. And again, I don't know how they do it exactly, but that is to me one of the most fundamental reasons that Lemonade is so successful. I think 
we, we need to stop addressing, again, the bad titles, the bad tweets. The bad, that is just a symptom. We have to figure out a way that, you know, to prevent media in all of its forms from encouraging lies. Yeah, I think, I think X's community notes have been terrific now. Yeah. I agree. I've been, I've been a huge deal. I, I was one of the few people that were a big fan of his acquisition. I agree. I want to know how, how we get how I get a person like how I could become the person that you oh, writes community. Talk to me. I already have a friend that, that's doing it. So do I. He's a, he's a, he's a young guy. Like, he's like I don't know how. Oh young. no, I have a friend who's in his fifties. But well, okay. and I that I will talk. Uh, about well, yeah. But so, in any case, I mean, yeah, you, listen. You, you, and I recommend people too because a lot of anti-Semites are looking to try to use community yeah. notes. Oh, the lies are just unbelievable. They will go. They will find any opportunity. It's crazy. Uh, it, the cat and mouse game is very difficult. Uh, it's always it's always trying. Right, to... but but you know you remember you know Peter Lerner. Peter Lerner was the uh, spokesman of the IDF for many years. So I don't know how many years ago. Probably eight years ago. He called into his office one day and he goes, "How are we going to win this war? How are we going to win this war? on Twitter? How are we going to win this war?" And I said, Peter. If you're looking, at, when you say win this war, if you're looking at the numbers, we'll never win. Right. By, de- by definition, they outnumber us by a massive whatever. And also, they have no need to stick to the truth. They can say whatever they want. We are smaller and we have to stick to the truth. So we'll never win that game of numbers. But somewhere, you know, I, I want to believe, as cliche as it is, that truth will prevail, that good will win. I, I want to believe that. You know, but right now, no matter how good our narrative is, no matter how many influencers we have on our side, no matter what we do on social media, we are never going to win that war. And we need to understand that. And we need to maybe shift focus from winning the numbers, which will never win, to something else. To I don't know what that something right. else is, right. but it's never, we're never going to win that. Right. Which is right. sad, but it's reality. Right. Back to, um, let's circle back to Israeli tech for a minute. So we'll talk about actually coming out of the war, then I want to talk about in general, the Israeli tech. What kind of advancements do you think we'll see in Israeli technology because in response to this war? Because a lot of war, you know, a lot of economic activity is when a lot of things are forced, a lot of things. So I have some ideas, but I kind of want to hear from you. How do you think maybe if we look back in three years, five years, and we look back, we've leapfrogged, in my opinion, I think we will in, in many ways, technologically because of the war, the response to the war, the response to the community, the tech community, right. and now we're maybe doubling in on our network and et cetera. How do you think, how do you see things changing technologically in Israel? I mean, I think, first of all, in an ironic kind of way, we're going to go back to our roots, which is cyber, right? Because right. this entire war is like, we're, we're failing, like on the cyber front, we're failing. Right. So for, we're going to- Can we're, you elaborate? I mean, you know, my my accounts are getting mass reported again because I have the right connections. I'm I'm doing okay and LinkedIn reinstates my account, Facebook reinstates my account, Instagram. Right, but how will Israeli cyber going to make an impact on? on We're going to have to figure out a way to find bots. So you know it's that, but it's 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 a lot more than that. I think the fact that the that our that our enemies Hamas has this disadvantage of these tunnels and everything else, all of their sorry not disadvantage advantage of the tunnels. We're at a disadvantage and many other things in this war. That we just aren't really dealing with because we don't know how, how do you deal with this tunnel? They built an entire city like yeah. under Gaza, like, and and yeah, we, we have solutions here and there, but we, you know, we haven't we have I need an iron dome for the tunnels, but the like, iron dome, literally without an exaggeration, from my perspective, is the most magical technology of our generation. Right, I, like I, you know, Daniel Gold, who's the, the inventor, I sat with him and he told me like how this came to be. It's a wild story. Rockets were raining down in Israel, and he's like, we need to do something about this. And he put together an A-team, and the A-team's like, okay, here are the solutions. They came up with like 50-something solutions, and he's just like, nope, 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 nope. He's like, I want to detonate the rockets midair. And he went to the army to fund it, and they're like, you can't detonate a rocket midair. It's it, was not like, possible. it was like $250 million of funding, too. That was the most amazing part. Yeah, but, but, but everyone said it's impossible. He went to the government. They said it's impossible. Went to the U.S. government. Everyone said it's impossible. And so he put, you know, he put together the team. He funded it, not out of his own pocket, but, and he built it. And 
I mean, I don't know the number exactly, but the precision is insane. Yeah, you know, it's ninety so percent. I think we've. I don't want to give it a jinx, but like we've right. basically dealt with that threat of the rockets. We've dealt with it. We've accepted. Obviously, there are failures. Every technology has failures, but we've dealt with it. We have, as far as I know, we have no real technology to deal with these tunnels. Mm-hmm. Like there are solutions, but I think after this war, you know, someone's going to have to figure that out. And that's just one example. I think, generally speaking, there are several areas in this war where we are at a disadvantage because we don't have a solution to that problem. Whether it's innocence in God, there's a million problems. And I think that if anything could solve those problems after the war, it's technology. There are a lot of problems. And I think that we're going to have, I think we're going to have an entire military tech ecosystem like arise Explode, right, right after. Yeah, it does, I mean, now it doesn't really exist. In Israel. Right. Yeah, there are, thing, there are, there are, you know, solutions and military tech companies. But, you know, food tech is the fastest growing ecosystem in the world. Israel right. is the fastest growing food tech ecosystem in the world. Military tech, like, it, it's ironic that we don't, but I don't, can you name 10 military tech companies in Israel? I can't. No, like, no. Right? Six, it's weird if you think about seven, it, right? right? Like, we have all the other verticals. Israel's kicking butt, right? Well, but you say, you refer more to hardware in a sense, Not right? necessarily. Not necessarily. Because, I mean, a lot of military, a lot of type security, I, I have some clients that do, like, even facial, cyber for drones. Even facial recognition. Right. Like, you know, when we unlock our, our phones, we use Face ID, which was developed by an Israeli company. But, and we have capabilities, but like, and I don't know this is possible. Maybe this is a fairy tale, what I'm saying right now, science fiction. But like, I mean, if Orcam can use technology to help blind people see, right. there's got to be a way, and I don't know, maybe I'm dreaming. There's got to be a way, I think, of somehow using sentiment recognition. Like looking at a person's face and seeing is this person a threat? Oh, that 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 already exists. Yeah, but why can't we do that in Gaza? Why can't we say this is a terrorist? This is not a terrorist. I don't I don't know. Maybe it's crazy what I'm saying. I have no idea. Right. But I'm just saying like I think after this war there's going to be a whole ecosystem born of military tech that I think is going to happen. And I think that you know and, and sorry to bring up a sore topic, but before the war, the war that we were fighting was the judicial reform. Right. And I'm sure you saw my articles. I was my message was one. I didn't even say if I support or I'm against the reform. My message was. We are going to get past this, and we are going. And Israeli tech and the Israeli, you know, Israeli society will be stronger in one year from now than it yeah, ever was. That's why I said after the thing. And everyone's like, "You're crazy! Whatever. Israel's disintegrating. Where everyone's well, leaving." That's because the Israeli media is right. but, <laughs> it's just as but inflammatory. I, I, don't, as I don't think anybody has any media. doubt now that when this war, because because you know what is, is what is the Jewish people's you know strongest characteristic? It's unity. Correct. Like when we're unified, dude, no one can mess with us. And again, like in the Torah, right? we stood at Mount Sinai, like one man with one heart. We were unified. That right. is when we're strongest. And now, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't remember there was such a, ever, there was uh, such a unity ever. in the I was, people. I was uh, telling a friend of mine, uh, my, a friend of mine, my wife's cousin, who's looking to make Aliyah. She came on a trip, birthright. She's like, I want to go first time. Um, this summer, she was like, all right, she was going to come. And because the war broke out and like, her dad's like, oh, no, you shouldn't get your nursing degree or whatever. And I, and I was, what's happened here? And I was telling her, like, the unity here, you're yeah. missing on the most amazing yeah. life experience. And it's unbelievable. My daughter's got a bat mitzvah in a week and a half. And, uh, and some of my family canceled. My mom and my sister are still coming. I was telling my sister who intends to make Aliyah in a year. And I was like, what you're going to experience as a unity, as like a nervous, like it is an amazing experience. What we're living through is absolutely f- phenomenal. And I believe that we're going to see tech not just because we need to respond and figure these things out but i think the amount of efficiency and speed and dedication and morale behind getting this technology out and helping each other yeah. i think is going to be huge yeah, no it's going to be on un, unparalleled i think so the amount of just the, the, 
the speed, I think, of which and the fact that we want to prioritize. Right. So there's like, you know, I obviously pushing more now the iron beam, right? The laser that would cost yeah. a couple I don't, know, I don't know very much about it, but it's apparently like insane technology. Yeah, yeah. So America supposedly already hasn't started putting on warships. Yeah. But they've tested it, but it hasn't been used in battle yet. Right. So you this, know, I, I'll tell you something. This is something that I've only recently come to this realization. But because of many factors, but social media definitely being one of the main ones, everything's on 10x speed. Everything's mm-hmm. faster than ever before. So, for example, yeah. in, in, a, in, in the worst possible way, the transition from dangerous rhetoric against Jews to actual violence and murder took a month. Right. You know how long it took in Germany? Years. Right. Years of Hitler's propaganda until they decided to do what they right. did. This took a month. So, think it's you know social media f- speeds things up, and it has bad effects and it has good effects. And so I think you know as soon as this war ends, or actually not even as soon as this war, we, we know what's happening now. People are building startups, whatever. As soon as this war ends, we're going to see, in my opinion, a surge like that. I think Israeli tech is going to be like on like turbo speed. And right. I think we're going to you know I was going to say explode, not a very good word to use, but we're, we're gonna, Israeli tech is going to do things that we've never done before in terms of speed, in terms of volume, in terms of deep tech, in terms of everything. Like, right. you know, whether it's on the impact side, the cancer treatments, things like that, to, you know, enterprise, the whole thing, hardware, so everything. I think today, I mean, is there a vertical of technology at all in which Israel is not a dominant player? Is there even such a thing? Uh, I mean, you know what the, our weakest thing was? was always consumer. We were always like, we're right, 9 million people. How do you build consumer, you know? Right. Now? You're starting to see that too, right? Starting. What are you talking about, dude? What are you kidding me? Like Lightrix, Orcam, like Fiverr, all of them. We have a right, massive, Fiverr, yeah. so, dude, we have massive multi-billion dollar consumer companies in Israel. Massive. Yes, yes. yes. I mean, I think we still have a long way to go. Um, do you think, um, so I think one of the places we can make the greatest advance is space technology. 100%. Um, whoever controls space controls the earth, in my opinion. We see that with the Starlink, right? Elon Musk Starlink. You said uh, satellites being able to, you know, there's a thousand satellites in orbit. You can see things as fine as anything from space. The camera technology, obviously, is a big component of that. Yeah. Being able to launch satellites here instead of being dependent on America, things like that. And yep. One of our challenges are because we're so small, being able to launch them. Um, do you think, or have you heard or anything about, in general, even before the war, I've always been saying we need to move into space technology? Dude, we detonated a rocket in space. I understand that. But I, I just because we have done that. Do you, yeah, no, we, I, 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 I say the, the direction. We've done. We yeah, can. We great, but that's more, that's the, I understand we that. We have insane t- t- space, space technology. Insane. I mean, you know, Yariv Bash, you know that is? Yariv yeah. Bash is the now CEO of uh, Flight Treks, which mm-hmm. is uh, drone deliveries. But before that, he was the CEO of Space IL that landed on oh, the moon, right? Right. Um, Crash on the moon. Yeah, but it landed. No, I know, I know. Saying, like, the technology needed to do that is insane. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've met, I've met some crazy space tech companies. Obviously, I'm, I, I can understand five percent of what they're saying. Right. But I, I love this. I'm yeah, so no, fascinated. Space is the next. I mean, there's right. no question. About so the it. reason why I think I've been, I was looking into just, I was thinking back in Israeli tech, and I was like, where are the trends going? And when I see where we are now, and right, trying to be looking back. It's that you know people come from Shimonima time, the eighty two hundred in the army, and so it's like, okay, our cybersecurity success actually stemmed from it, the military needing it for defense. We're seeing that with AI or you know machine learning, et cetera. And then I think the bigger need for space. I think what we should expect is a lot more, in my opinion, a lot more space technology yeah. going to be introduced to startups. I think we'll see that in the next decade right. because of changes happening in the Israeli defense forces. Right. I mean, you know, it's funny because. Who, in my opinion, is the the most 
like forward-thinking visionary of our time, clearly Elon Musk, like clearly. And every single one of his companies, when he came up with the idea, the world thought he was insane. Yeah. What do you mean fully electric? Like at the time, Tesla was like what? Like decades ahead of everyone else, right? And you know, same is true for all SpaceX, like reusing, like that. that's crazy, you know? All of it, the tunnels, the boring company, all of it. Everything he's doing is crazy, right? But he does it, he pulls it off. And I don't think there's any debate or doubt about what Elon Musk thinks about space. Like we are going to be living on Mars, right. or Elon Musk, which again, seems crazy to us, but if anyone he can do it. He has a good track record. Think, if if anyone, that's when he bought Twitter. I was like, if there's anyone that can turn this shit exactly, around. Exactly. So I don't know, you know, I don't know anything about space. I don't know, I don't know about you, but like, you know, these, these people who pay for like, you know, uh, these crazy space exploration things, mm-hmm. like these millionaires for fun, yeah. Dude, you couldn't pay me enough money to go to space. Yeah, it's too early. You could, bro. What about Neuralink? Would bro, you put a chip in your brain? Bro, we'll talk about that in a second. Bro, the, the the fear of just like being in space, just black. Oh, that? Terrifying. Oh, my God. That is not for me. Do you, do you sleep in a dark room? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but the space scares the hell out of me. I, the only thing that scares me more than space is the ocean. Oh, I can see like that. My worst nightmare is falling off a cruise. So my three favorite scientists personally, not like... Falling off a cruise, though. Falling off a cruise. Oh, yeah. You can't get back up, right? The cruise is 20 feet. You can't do anything. You're in the middle of the ocean. You, in all directions, you see black. Uh-huh. Holy crap, that's scary. That oh, is, yeah, and you're that's the scary yeah, you're, you're, you're But done. as far as uh, as far as far the the chip in your brain, uh, I have a very uh, controversial uh, yeah, opinion on this. And I have this discussion with many people, like family members, whatever. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't understand why anyone would not do that. That, that's, I'm very pro it too. Like, why would you I don't want to be that? the guinea pig. No, but, but like if, if, okay, of course it has to be safe. But like if I can implant a chip into my brain. And I can learn a language me, like this. It gives me all the knowledge in the world. Why would I why do it? Why would I not do that? Like, right. uh, so be like, no, you got to learn. Why do I need to learn? Like, here's the it, thing. It's like when they said, when I was in high school, you'll never, you won't always have a calculator on you, right? Isn't that? But like, here's the thing. As human beings, we, we, we have things that we've done and have always done. And so to us, it's like, that's the default you need to do. You need to go to school. Right. But do you? Yeah, because you're not going to get, you know, if you're, you want to be educated, you, you can't be educated without school. This is the avenue. But I'm like, wait a second. You can bypass that avenue. You right. put a chip in your brain. Right. Why would I need to do this if I could do this? It's like, or, why or, drive or, or, go to real, or go to the real life and get why, a job. And why drive a Fiat if I could drive a Lamborghini? Right. Right? So at the end of the day, you know, again, putting aside the risks, obviously it has to be safe. But if you can implant the chip into my brain with no medical risks, and I will now have all the knowledge in the world, why... Why would you not do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. So again, the debate is whether or not education is an end or just a means to an end. If it's a means to an end, meaning I'm getting educated in order to do something, in order to have that knowledge, then just bypass the means, get to the end quicker. But if you're right. telling me education's a means, sorry, it's an end, meaning you need to know geography. No, yeah, no, it's, it's we need to indoctrinate. <laughs> okay, that's a whole different discussion. But I'm just saying, if you think that, you know, studying, like right. ser- studying right. with a book in your hand is a virtue in and of itself. Like that right that is important whether or not you have the knowledge afterwards sitting and studying right, teaching your brain right. training your brain if that's the end for you and that's the goal then then don't uh, don't put your brain said i don't let schooling get in the way of my education exactly right so to me uh, clearly education is the means to an end right if i can bypass the means and get to the end faster why would i not but you know I, it's it's very it's a very controversial thing cuz most people you'd ask them you put a chip in your brain they'd be like are you insane like right. no way but right. to me it's like no i, I would totally 100%. i would i would after as soon as i would be the first one, why wouldn't i want that advantage yeah, 100% why wouldn't i want why wouldn't i want that yeah so this only takes we have okay so do you think ai or cybersecurity is going to have a bigger impact when it comes um, to the israeli tech scene if we look back in 10 years so I, 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 and, you know ai is like kind of become a buzzword i know it has but i don't mean the way it's used by the way cuz 
because consumers are talking about AI and how they use it in language models, et cetera. It's generative AI. AI in general is like... (coughs) I mean, mean like deep tech or military tech or whatever, or for enterprise solutions. So I, you know, because people just think of cybersecurity for themselves, they think of a VPN, right? And Norton or some other computer. I I mean, so that's why they become buzzards because they're, you know, people can relate to it more. I don't think, you know, and I hear this all the time, you're not the first, second, or hundredth person to say this, but I don't think you can call AI vertical. Like AI is in, every, there's no such thing as a technology in 2023 that doesn't have AI in it. Like everything. Name right. any vertical of technology, it's using right, AI. Use it. right. Transportation. How does mobile eye work? Well, it's you, AI. Well, you, like, you can say the same thing about computer chips. It's in every technology. Not true at all. We mean no software has computer chips. No, no, but it needs to, but it runs on computers and it runs on things that it absolutely need. Okay, but, but again, take transportation. How does mobile eye work? AI, computer right. vision, it's all AI. Everything's AI. Medical, right, but AI. Healthcare, AI. everything's AI. Yeah, but if so. you remove the advanced chips, you're not going to have the AI. I mean, this is the whole problem with America. So okay, I'm not just saying they're right. So I'm saying there's a lot of things, right? And the, there's a lot of things that you need. Right. You know, a lot of businesses need, AI, need, fin- need finances. Right. And, and you need, a lot right. of things are needed in every business, technologically advanced or not. Right. So I'm just wondering that where do you think things are? Within AI, there's there's many verticals, obviously. Right. Generative AI is one of them. It's the most popular one because of ChatGPT. But um, yeah, I, I think AI is going to be you know, even more mainstream. It's going to be in every, in every, right, literally right. in everything. Like, right. uh, I mean, my refrigerator's got an AI. Like, yeah, yeah, no, it will, it will know. It will know when to, re- and it won't mean that. It will automatically reorder the food that you need when everything. you see that slow. Which again, begs the question, is this a good thing? To me, it's a good thing. Many people are like, dude, that's like, you're, you're on this earth to like, work to do things that everything's gonna be done for you then it's bad and i'm like that's ridiculous like, right there will be more to, well it depends if you're a person that doesn't like to do things to begin with right, you'll end up you, being depressed right if, so, if the, it's like an alcohol in a sense right it can amplify right. If, if you're if you're depressed if you're not a creator if you're a consumer ai is going to make you far more is going to make your life worse actually right. well that's the question that happens, AI. if you're a creator then ai will enable you to create more and you'll be much happier and be better right. enabled right so i mean everyone you know in generative ai chat gpt everyone's like oh my god i'm gonna take my job like dude when the, when the tractor was invented farmers freaked out when press was invented publishers freaked out when the internet was invented when social media was invented when the mobile we all freaked out with new technology oh my god it's gonna replace my job dude if chat gpt can replace you then you deserve to be replaced. Right, right, right. then there's a problem. Like right. if all you're doing is sitting on a computer data entry all day long on an Excel sheet, then you deserve to be replaced. Use your brain a little more than if a computer can replace you, then you're not doing a good job at life, right. you know? So I, yeah, of course it will replace people. And just like the tractor, it replaced stupid manual labor that a, a human being, you know, wasn't given a brain to do those things. Like plowing a field, like use your brain, do something creative, you know? So, you know, AI in general, you know, it will in many ways, it's going to change everything. It will replace millions of people but that will open the way pave the way for those people to do something more substantial more significant more meaningful right it's not a bad thing in the beginning there'll be there'll be pains there'll be growing pains but at the end of the day ai will enhance our lives in every possible way i think i hope awesome um for the the future of israeli technology obviously i think we're going to see like we said a lot of things because of the wars i think we're going to see a lot of rapid escalation and I think a lot more startups that you were saying that we're all going to want to found and we're all going to be working yeah. together. Um, what's What I find fascinating in general, just in Israel, even before the war, was that there was like, I would gladly recommend a competitor if I thought they were better off than if I thought maybe they would take the business out of the country or things like that. Right. And I think that's, I think we're going to see more acceleration of that. I think more people are coming together is that we have far more in common. We can help yeah, each other 100%. one more in that, in that sense. And so I think we may be seeing actually more collaboration even further um, between startups 
and between the Israeli ecosystem, I think we'll be seeing a lot more domestic and homegrown, which I'm which I'm really optimistic for. And I think a lot of startups, I said in five, ten years, or not even ten years, five years, we'll see are going to come. The army is going to start prioritizing some insane technology for defense, just like with cybersecurity and AI. And we're yeah. starting to see that in space even yep. more. We're going to start seeing more and more of these things, facial yep. recognition. I think we'll see more of these startups because the military is going to need it. They're going to study the military. They're then going to go have the proper ecosystem to then go and uh, and start a startup. And I think it's really going to revolutionize things. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I think I always say this. I think it's really time to just getting started. I think this war and everything that we've been through is going to you know, amplify everything we've done till now. And I think we're going to reach different levels. I, really, I do believe that. Awesome. Hillfold, thank you. The cool kids do this, man. I'm not there yet. Oh, one day. <laughs>